journey, right, journey, our discipleship is a journey of grace, and uh, so we are actually in week four, hard to believe we're that far already in our journey, what we've been journeying through as a church, we've been looking at grace, and uh, we've been looking at the fact today that Jesus is the life, today is what we're looking at, we've heard our passage of scripture, uh, where our topic today is grace that carries us through the gap. Grace that carries us through the gap. Now I need to get my glasses on so I can actually see what I'm doing here. Uh, my, now you look good. <laughs> um, and so that's what we're, would help if I put this on. So, so that's what we're looking at today is, is this gap and, and, and grace that carries us through the gap. Um, Paul said in Romans 7, verse 18, For I have this desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You see, that's the gap. That's one of the hardest gaps for us to deal with as believers in Christ. There is a desire in my life. There is a desire to do certain things. There's a lot of good intentions that are given at an altar of prayer. But somehow I just can't seem <laughs> to live that out. And so there is this terrible gap, this great divide often, between what we desire and what commitments we've made and the reality of how we live that out. That's the gap. We, just to recap, uh, we've been talking about grace. Grace is? Great to have it out on the sign, the church sign. Thank you, Mark, for that. And so let's say it again, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have been looking at the reality that grace is not just, you know, a thing or a, something floating around. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So he is grace. And so when we're talking about grace, we're talking about Jesus. We said grace is God's unmerited favor. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't work for it. It is, the best word to describe grace is gift. Grace is a gift. And so we've been looking at the fact of God seeking grace, which we call prevenient grace. We looked at God's saving grace. And today we're looking at God's sanctifying grace. Our passage of scripture today that we looked at is, is kind of in between that ascension and, and Pentecost is involved and this reality of what happens after Jesus returns to the Father. And so uh, we see this book of Acts that next Sunday will be Pentecost Sunday, as I've already prayed today. Today is Ascension Sunday. We celebrate the Lord's Ascension. And we saw in those verses 12 to 14 uh, what we heard Catherine read. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near the city, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, with one accord. Hmm, that's, not, that's a whole different message. We're not going to get into that today. But you want the Holy Spirit to move, you want a, re a revival, it will not happen in the midst of discord. 
with one accord, they all continued in prayer. Just what Pastor Mike was talking about in his prayer time, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Lord, we pray now that you would open our eyes to see the truth today, and the truth would touch us, change us, transform us, and set us free. Your word is truth. We want to glean from it today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this written word is only here to bring us closer to the word, you. And so we pray today that we would not just be studiers of your word, but we would be people who hear your voice through it, who respond to it, and are obedient to it. Direct us today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We heard that passage, you know, they, they've seen Jesus ascended, and now they've gone off, and, and then we hear this verse 17, and, and all of a sudden, Pentecost happens, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter stands up and preaches this uh, wonderful, wonderful message. Uh, we heard, right, those verses in the last days, he's, he's talking about the prophet Joel, that this is now, remember they said, oh, they're drunk. That's what the people in the community thought. They're drunk. And so Peter gets up and says, no, 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 this is what the prophet Joel has prophesied about. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Acts is an exciting book. It's the Acts of the early Christians. And we see there this amazing thing happening. Peter gets up and preaches this message, and thousands are added to the church. Right? Wait a minute. Is this not the same Peter that we just... Looked at just a while back, on Monday, Thursday we call it, Good Friday, that denied the Lord three times, that, that went out weeping, had realized that he had deserted not just the Lord, but him, his closest friend, his companion for the last three years. Oh, he made all kinds of promises, never me, Lord, I'll never leave you nor desert you. But in that moment, Peter denies the Lord. They all ran, actually. So, so what has happened in these two months? What, what could have happened in, in his life? You see, he had denounced Jesus. He had walked away from Jesus. He had given up. He felt, he felt ashamed. He felt defeated. And so he goes back to his default, and his default is, I'm going fishing. Now, no offense for our, our fishers here today. You do that as a livelihood. But see, Peter had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Peter would never be the same again, and now he feels defeated. He has let him down. There's no turning back. And so he goes back to his default, and he goes back to fishing. You know, Scripture tells us there that, but he caught no fish. <laughs> that always stood out to me. There's no going back. He caught no fish. And so we see that, you can see that in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. See, there was a gap in Peter's life, much like we heard the Apostle Paul talk about. He, he had all these plans to be dedicated to Christ, and he would never desert him, and yet there was this terrible gap that happened in his life of what he had intended and where he ended up. And if we're not careful, often in our lives there's a terrible gap. 
And we often, too, can feel ashamed and defeated. So how did Peter go from a man who was tossing nets to the man that stood up on Pentecost and preached such a message that thousands were added to the church in one day? My friends, it's called grace. It's God's sanctifying grace. And that sanctifying grace, all of a sudden, they're out fishing, and they're not catching any fish, and there's somebody on the shore, and his name is Jesus. And I often joke about it. You've heard me say it before. It was the first men's breakfast. And it was fish, too, at that. Maybe he will get fish for breakfast up in Tignish. I enjoy it, too. Salt cod's always good. Salt, salt anything is good. So Jesus is on the shore, and he is making breakfast because Jesus is not ready yet to turn, return to the Father and pour out his spirit while he sees Peter so away from him. He sees Peter so defeated. He sees Peter struggling with the decisions he made or the lack of things that he did. And so Jesus decides, it's time for me to have an encounter with Peter and totally restore him. And so we see that, that Jesus shows up, and they have this wonderful time, well, he has this wonderful time with Jesus, he's reinstated, the other disciples, the relationships are restored, and now it's time for Jesus to return to the Father that the Holy Spirit can be poured out. Up to this point, Jesus is contained in our flesh, and so he can only be certain places at a time, but now he needs to return to the Father. Praise God that he did, because we're in faith today because of it, or we'd be all having to flock to Jerusalem. And so he returns to the Father that the Spirit now can come and flow and have freedom, and every person everywhere can experience Christ. But before he does that, he gives them a time out. Do you ever give timeouts in daycare? <laughs> we had a timeout chair in our home. <laughs> he gives a timeout. He says to his disciples, time out. Stop doing. Stop worrying. I want you to go. And that's the scripture we heard read. They go up into this upper room and they begin to go there as a place of prayer and a place of unity and a place of sharing and a place of soul searching and a place of consecration and a place of surrender. They give up everything and they go to this upper room as we'll celebrate next Sunday. And they go there and they're waiting upon the Lord because Jesus said, you need a time out. Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. See, what we do in this gap matters. That is crucial. And so in this gap, it's a time of consecration and surrender. As we've done before, we need to back up today. We need to back up again to creation. You will not understand the New Testament, as Pastor Mike has continually taught, until you understand the old. And to understand the old, you need to move right to Genesis 1 and 2. And so right at the beginning, God created on the sixth day, man and woman, and his comment was, it is good, very good. And they were made in the image of God. They were made in the image of God. 
And so we see how wonderful that is, right? That they're made in this image of God, just like a mirror there to reflect God's glory. And that was their calling. That's what they were created for. Other things were not created in the image of God. They only man and woman. They were not to become gods. They were not even to become angels. Bad theology at funerals, by the way. My grandmother is my angel in heaven. There is nowhere in scripture, there is no such thing. Our calling, why we were created, was to reflect the image of God. And as we know, something went terribly wrong. We call that original sin. See, original sin is not something to be removed like a gallbladder. <laughs> original sin is, as one of the hymn writers says, my bent to sinning, right? Alpha and omega B, my bent to sinning, my disposition towards sinning. It, it is this ego, this I, this me wanting to be God. That's actually the attack of the enemy to Adam and Eve. It's God didn't really say that. When you eat of this, you'll have your eyes open like God. They want it to be like God, not reflect his image. They want it to be God. And so because of that, we have what we call the fall. And that fall means now that this is that sin condition of all of us. It is the failure to worship God alone. And so what we want to realize today is when we talk about salvation, as we talked last week, God's saving grace, God's saving grace is when you come to that place and you have realized your need for the forgiveness of sins, your sins. You're asking, God, forgive me, I am a sinner. That is supposed to be the phrase from our lips. In a broken and contrite heart, we see our sin, what we've done, that whatever we've done has been counter to what God has wanted for us. And so we ask for forgiveness of our sins. That's God's saving grace. We're justified. There's a lot of things that Pastor Sheila would know and others. There's a lot of theology that goes on in there. We're justified. We're regenerated. We are forgiven. We are adopted into God's family. But we call that all within saving grace. But what takes care of the sin condition? What deals with that bent towards sinning? Well, my friends, we don't just need deliverance from our actual sins. We also need deliverance for this bent towards sinning, this condition of sin, this what we call original sin. And so we also need sanctification. So, so justification is God's saving grace. Sanctification is when God comes now and starts to deal with my condition of sin, my fallenness, my ego, my I, I, me, me, my concerns, my needs, my wishes, my wants. It is an issue of lordship. I love this slide. It's very, very clear. Justification, saving, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, right? We are being saved from the power of sin in God's saving and sanctifying grace. 
And then there is the glorification we all wait for on that wonderful great day before we enter into the kingdom of God with him. And that is when we are saved from the presence of sin. That is powerful. That slide there, if you can get your mind around this, is so powerful. And and so sanctifying grace is this now dealing with what Paul, the Apostle Paul, loves to call it the flesh. (laughs) The flesh. He refers to that often in his letters, the flesh. (laughs) Flesh is the I, it's the ego, it's living for self, my needs, my concerns. Augustine and Martin Luther Uh, said it is being curved inward. It is that that curving into oneself. If you want to see people who are negative and critical, it is those people who are turned inward and all they see is their own issues, their own concerns, their own needs. That is the flesh. We used to say navel gazers. That's putting it in common English. Well, my, my navel's an innies. Yours an outie? Let's just look at our navels. God will never be able to use you for the kingdom of God if all you're doing is looking inward at your navel. Now, there is a place to check our hearts, right? And to look at ourselves. But when your uh, you're bent to sinning is about the flesh, that's all you see. It's all about you and your needs and your worries and your concern. The scripture calls it a war within, Galatians, right? Galatians, Paul writes to the church, and he says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's the gap. Right there's the gap. Now, now hear me right. Before you are in Christ, there's no war going on. <laughs> You're in the flesh. So nothing's at war. That's what conviction is. That's the Holy Spirit and the provenient grace, the seeking grace, coming now and starting to convict me. Because up to that point, I'm in the flesh. I'm having a great time. I don't know anything about it. Paul here in Galatia is talking to the church. He's talking to people who are saved. He's saying that those that are saved, there is a war going on between the spirit, what the spirit wants in your life, and what the flesh wants in your life. See, it's an issue. It's a question of lordship. Who now is lord of my life? And the truth of it is, I'm happy that Jesus forgave me of my sins. I'm happy I got my ticket to heaven, but I'm still in control. I'm still Lord of my life. Pastor, don't you tell me what I should be doing. Sunday school teacher, don't bring that up. I'm Lord of my life. And there is that rebellious spirit that can happen. And so it's a question of lordship not salvation. And so the goal of every Christian now is to become 
more like Jesus. This is this goal that Christ has set out before us, that we are to be more like Jesus, more like, more like Jesus, less like me. <laughs> that's your goal. If you want to know what your goal is, that's your goal. Until the Lord calls you home or comes, your goal is to be more like Jesus, less like me, more like Jesus. That's sanctifying grace. That is what it's all about. And so Paul says to the church in Ephesus, the goal is the maturity of the believer, to be like Jesus. He says, this will continue until we are united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. Church, Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, you want to know what our aim is? Our aim is to be like Jesus. And that, that new goal for this year fits right in it because God is love and Christ is loving. Therefore, it is a given as a church we should be loving because it's more like Jesus. It's not rocket science. <laughs> Seems pretty simple. Problem is there's a great gap. So sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. That's really what it's about. All churches believe in sanctification. We all believe that because we believe that there is this place in your life where once you are now saved, God, through his Holy Spirit, every believer receives the Holy Spirit. God is wanting to transform you, change you, make you more like Jesus. Because it's great to say you're going to go out and be a witness, but if you are a witness in the flesh... Guess what the fruit is? You don't see a lot of fruit. It is the more that you are looking like Jesus, behaving like Jesus, acting like Jesus, loving like Jesus, that God can use you to save others. And so God is wanting to do this work. And so what's important for us to see that this is God's will, he said that in Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's will for us, to be sanctified. Now, this is where we get into theology. There's initial sanctification, and there is entire sanctification. I said to you, all denominations believe in sanctification. Most of them will tell you it's only a process. It is only initial sanctification. It means that at the moment you came to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and little by little, God is working on you, and someday you'll be a little bit better than you are now, but sometimes you do a lot of digressing instead of moving forward, and that is that sanctification. That's all you can hope for. We don't believe that <clears throat> in the Church of the Nazarene. We believe that there is not just initial sanctification, which is a process, we believe that there is a crisis moment, there is a moment when you realize that God wants to do a deeper work in your heart and life and deal with this bent towards sinning, this sin condition which we call original sin. We believe that. We believe when you sing victory in Jesus, what are we singing about? We're believing that God wants to fill you to the uttermost with the Holy Spirit so when people rub you the wrong way, you splash Jesus on them. Remember that statement? I, I want to be so filled with Jesus that when a mosquito bites me, it goes away singing, there's power in the blood. 
right? Some of you have never heard that one before. Sanctification is that which bridges this gap. It's the work of God. It's a gift of grace, just like saving grace is a gift. But it bridges that gap. It's where we begin to fulfill being made in God's image. It's where we become truly human again. It is where we're now under the new Adam and no longer under the old, Scripture says. It is that being declared as something holy, something sanctified, something sacred for the purposes of God. It's that process of being freed from sin. It's causing us to be morally accepted before God, making us holy. This is where God does the renovation, the transformation. See, if we're thinking about initial sanctification, we are justified, our actual sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit is given to us, He begins that process and that desire in our hearts and begins to regenerate us, and there's this war going on, and we begin to see that that we are sin is a condition we realize there's something it was in my own life my own christian walk two or three weeks after i had to be crucified with christ on my basement floor i can see the brown carpet today because i came up from that carpet and that moment a different woman and i've never been the same since that's what we believe we believe god can do that that's the victory we talk about But God had started that in his initial sanctification in my heart. That's what drew me to that place of crisis, that place of moment. And we're using the word crisis in a good way here. See, we need to understand today there can be carnal Christians. Well, you've met a few. I have too. (laughs) Christians that walk according to the flesh. It's about their needs, their wishes, the songs they like to sing. (laughs) Ooh, dare I go there as a pastor? No, we won't go there that far. It's carnality. It's the flesh. It is possible to be saved and be carnal. Why? Look at the book, well, the books of Corinthians. Nowhere does Paul say to the church in Corinth, they're not saved. They're saved. They haven't dealt with the sin issue, the sin condition. And this is why we see that there needs to be more than just this initial sanctification. There's a lot of people today that will tell you in, this, in, in their theology, and their belief, that, that it's a process, only a process. Uh, then uh, it's, it's a, you know, you get saved, you just give it lots of time, and you put your willpower, and then you'll just be, see spiritual growth. And yet we see in people's lives, and they know themselves, this terrible gap Uh, But we believe that holiness is a crisis moment. Yes, there is the process that starts before an initial sanctification, but there is a moment when we realize that everything that I've wanted to do to please Christ, I'm doing everything against it, and God, what is wrong with me? And the Holy Spirit points. (laughs) I remember in my own life, it wasn't that I had Jesus that Jesus saved me, but Jesus says to me, now can I have you? Can I have all of you? Will you give me your past? Will you give me your present? Will you give me your future? 
That's why I came up from that floor a different person. Is God finished with me? No, there's still a process going on. But there is this crisis moment. What we believe as, as holiness churches, and there's quite a few denominations, we believe that I can only be sanctified and changed because of God's grace, a gift. But in the midst of that, I begin to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do with me, and I flesh it out in the Christian community, and that helps me to be more like Jesus. It's both a crisis and a process. And it changes us, it transforms us, it reimagines us, it remakes us, it remodels us. And if you want to see an example of it, look at Peter. That's what the Holy Spirit did in Peter's life to change him from a man who was ashamed and defeated, loved Jesus, but ashamed and defeated, and then stands up to preach the word of God. And thousands are added to the church in one day. So, so, see, if we thought it was just time, then that would mean the ones that have been walking with the Lord in the church longer, decades, would be more spiritual. Not always. It's not just about time. It's not just about, well, over time, I'll just be more like Jesus. No, it has a lot to do with if you have died to self, if you've been crucified with him, that he might now come alive in you and you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. That's why I've met people that have only followed Jesus six months, and in their presence, you know there's something there. Different. Changed. Transformed. I believe it's God's will that we see it in everybody's life. doesn't matter if you've been with the Lord 30 years or three months. But it has a lot to do with our attitude. It has a lot to do with what we do. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There are those things that precede the crisis, that come before the crisis. And we use this term, consecration. I consecrate myself. Consecration is I now say, Lord, use me for your purposes. I want to be holy. I want to be filled. I want to be anointed. I want to be used by you. That's consecration. That is so important. I, I like what this says. Consecration is a once for all giving of yourself and all that you have for the worship, obedience, and service of God. It is recognizing that he is the rightful owner and ruler of your life. Making him Lord. King of my life, I crown thee now. Now, that has to be done daily. But there is a moment when we realize the need for it and we're obedient to it. The other word is surrender. I give up, Lord. I raise the white flag. See, really, you need to give up a certain amount in order to get saved. This, this is where you give up and saying, Lord, I, I give up trying to do this Christian thing. See, I have shared my testimony before. I said, Lord, I don't want to go to church. They're just all a bunch of hypocrites there. That was supposed to be funny. You're not laughing. And then, so when I came to faith, the last thing I wanted written across my back was hypocrite. Hypocrite means play acting, wearing a mask. 
And so that's why it only took a few weeks for me to get on my face down in the basement saying, God, something's wrong because I'm like Paul. There is a great gap in my life. I had all these good intentions, but I'm messing up on this Christian thing. I don't think I can do it. And the Lord said, that's exactly right. You can't do it. (laughs) Let me do it in and through you. And so the last thing I ever wanted to be was a hypocrite. And here I was. And so it's the surrender. Everybody will deal and experience this differently. I'm just sharing my story. You don't have to have the same experience I have, but we all need to experience his sanctification. And so God is wanting to do that today in our lives. Will you allow him to do it in your life and through you? Now, a lot of people get, we're almost coming to a close, a lot of people get uh, really this word entire. Oh dear, what does that mean? Well, I just think we need to simplify it. I'm entirely his. That's what all entire sanctification is saying. I'm entirely his. That's all it is. Uh, Am I perfect? No, I'm perfecting. But my heart is right. My relationship is right. I'm totally given over to him. I'm entirely his. Jesus is entirely my Lord. I'm entirely consecrated to him. I'm entirely surrendered, have surrendered everything to him. And so we see that sanctification is both a crisis and a process. And that crisis in that moment of emptying of self, of consecrating and surrendering, I've made space for the Holy Spirit to come and fill me. So you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're filled with self. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if it's ego, I, and the flesh. The flesh needs to be crucified in order for the Spirit to come and fill you to the uttermost. And when the flesh tries to come into my life and I get selfish and self-centered, then the Spirit does not have the same freedom to move and work in my life. And I need to re-consecrate myself and ask for his cleansing and help, that I might be filled to the uttermost with his Holy Spirit. Have you ever met people that when you walk in a room, you sense the presence of Jesus? That's God's desire for all of us. It's not just for a few. It's God's desire for all of us, but it depends upon how much we are willing to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. So, We all believe in sanctification. That's part of your salvation, not just the saving grace that meets you in that moment, but sanctification starts working in your life until glorification. That is all part of it. You can't can't just say, well, I believe in salvation, pastor, but I don't want anything to do with the sanctification. Then you've missed the point. It's all part of it. Now, other churches will say what I've been talking about this morning, and I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray for them, and I'm just trying to teach what we believe. They believe that you have no hope for that in this life. There are certain denominations that say you have no hope for that. That only happens when you die. That only happens at the end of life. All you can know in this life is a gap of defeatism. We don't believe that. 
We believe that Jesus didn't just die to proclaim you saved and set apart for God, but Jesus died to pour out his Holy Spirit in your heart and life and empower you, impart you with his righteousness that here and now I can live a life that will please God, a life unto holiness. I don't have to wait until I die. Right? That's what, that's what we teach. That's what we believe. And so we embrace the process and the crisis and the process. And there are many infillings, many moments where the Holy Spirit works on our hearts and life. Man, that's hard to get sanctification in one message. We could do a whole series just on that. Now, what's all this stuff on the communion table? I thought I wanted to try to bring this into a reality today for us because we've been talking about some pretty deep stuff today. Some of us are visual, and all metaphors break down. But if this can help us today to understand, I wanted to do this for that reason. We said that we have been made in the image of God. There is a worship song out there right now, Image of God. I keep uh, hearing it in my head as I was preparing this week. And so we're made in the image of God. And, and so I was thinking this week, one of the best ways to, to talk about that is a mirror, right? That that mirror, what's the purpose of this mirror? Is to show me my reflection. And much like this mirror is to show me my reflection, we have been created to reflect God. Not to become God, but we reflect God. We're made in his image. We're his image bearers. And so that was how we were created. Unfortunately, because of the fall, we were discarded and separated from God out in the world in our fallen state. And I got some good PEI red sand mud here. That's what begins to happen in our lives. Right? The world, sin, fallenness, brokenness, Everything you can think of. The life turned to ego. And so we're discarded, we're left, we're in our sins, we're a mess. We don't even know sometimes how bad it is because we're just like we said, people before Christ, before God's seeking grace, touching their lives. They don't know how bad their condition is. They think that's all there is. And then through God's saving grace, he comes and he gets us and he purchases us and he redeems us and he brings us back into his purposes for us. And we're back in the hand of God. We're back with him. What's the problem? Can't reflect his glory. Can't reflect his image. Because there is this condition of sin. There is this life of sin that, yes, has been forgiven, but the condition of sin has not been dealt with. And so that's why, even in the hand of God, I sometimes reflect more myself, my ego, the enemy, than reflecting him. What is needed? What is needed, my friends, is cleansing. What is needed in a moment, I realize that my condition, and I ask God as I consecrate myself to him, and I surrender everything to him, and I am now not just in his hand and saved, and hallelujah, I'm going to be with him for eternity, important, 
I'm now able to reflect his image, his glory, his power, as I am poured out for him and filled with his Holy Spirit. Oh, there'll be times where this happens. Yeah. But praise God, if we sin, we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, that brings us back into that right relationship with him at any moment, any time. You know what that's called? Sanctifying grace. That's our role, our calling. Worship team's going to come. God wants to cleanse us. God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. God wants us to reflect his image. As they come and we sing our closing song, we've done a terrible disservice when we've made these altars a place for only sinners. Well, yeah, they are. We're all sinners saved by grace, so it's a place for all of us. But in the Church of the Nazarene, and I was raised in the Salvation Army, the mercy seat, these places of altar, the Wesleyan Church, uh, Pentecostal, all the other denominations that teach us, this is a place of surrender and consecration. This is a place for believers who want to go deeper into the things of God. This is a place for people who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a place for people who say, I need a fresh infilling in my heart and life. I I need the advocate to come and clean up some things I'm not pleased with. And so as we sing this closing song, I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you today that we will not be as powerful as we can be as a church if we are not totally consecrated and surrendered to God. If you have not had that moment, that cleansing moment, I invite you to come. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that work in your heart and life. It might not happen here today, but I believe it will happen shortly. Because I know for me, when I gave it all to the Lord, and he gave me all that he had, as I said, I came up a different person. Oh, I still have my struggles, but it's not the same as what it was those first three weeks of my faith. It's getting very quiet here, because it's becoming holy ground. It's becoming a place where God wants to do a deeper work in our hearts and lives. If you feel today, even as a believer, there's a gap between what God is wanting to do in your life and where you have been doing it, allow him through his sanctifying grace to bridge that gap today, to empower you and help you to live that life that would honor him. I will say no more. I believe I've said more than enough. I think it's time now to do business with God.